Does a follower of Jesus have the right to be offended? Does a follower of Jesus have the right to be offended? There is so much offense in the world today, so much anger in the world today. Uh, You saw it on the video that we showed earlier. As Christians, do we engage this? As followers of Jesus, do we have a right to feel this way? And I want to remind you about how we're using this word offended, uh, because it means different things in different culture. But when the Bible uh, translates the word uh, offended, a lot of times it's the Greek word scandalizo. And uh, that Greek word carries with it the idea of being led into sin by your offense. So you hear something you don't like, you see something you don't like, something happens that you don't like, and Scandalizo is describing someone who is led into sin by, by, that, by, by that feeling, that you get so angry. Um, and, uh, one passage that we looked at said, your love grows cold. You seek to destroy the person that angered you. You hope for the person that angered you to be d- destroyed. And this word Scandalizo, it never ever describes Jesus, obviously. Jesus was bothered by some things, but he was never led into sin uh, by, by being bothered or, or by being offended, if you want to use that word. The word uh, scandalizo, who it most often describes, is the religious leaders who killed Jesus. It, it describes them often. So this is a fairly uh, serious thing. And so while Jesus was never offended, here's what we learn about Jesus. People were offended by Jesus. Right? Jesus would teach and Jesus would take actions and there were multiple people who were led into sin uh, by their reaction to Jesus through no fault of Jesus, just they were offended by him. And so we did this uh, sermon series uh, over the winter on the Sermon on the Mount. And what we learned about Jesus in that sermon series is that Jesus is going to challenge us on some things as we follow him. He's gonna challenge the way you were raised. Maybe you were raised in a family where anger and animosity were were just the way things functioned. Your dad was really angry. Your mom was really angry. Your aunts and uncles were really angry. When you got together for the holidays, everybody was just really angry. Jesus challenges challenges the way we were raised with his teachings on grace and forgiveness. Jesus is going to challenge our culture. What what our culture says is true, that we live in this kind of, at times, sexually charged culture. We live in a a culture that is ego-centered. We live in a culture uh, that, that argues and fights a lot. And Jesus challenges us on this with his teachings on purity and self-sacrifice and patience. He's going to maybe even challenge what we, what we were taught growing up in church. Right? Um, we pastors sometimes get it wrong and churches get it wrong. And maybe you grew up in a graceless environment. Uh, an environment that didn't have a ton of love in it. Maybe you grew up in a legalistic church, and as you've gotten older and as you've walked with Jesus, you realize realize he's challenging the way that you were raised. And this is going to create tension. Anytime Jesus Jesus challenges the way you were raised or the way you were brought up or what culture says is true, it creates a tension. It can even create offense. It can create anger directed at Jesus when he challenges us, the way it did with the Pharisees. It can create unbelief um, like it did in so many of the early followers of Jesus. It can create disobedience. And so I wanna show you three stories today. Um, And I wanna show you these stories where this scandalizo is directed to Jesus, where people are so bothered and so angered by what Jesus said or did that they were led into sin by their reaction to Jesus. And I want to show you these stories, and uh, we're just going to kind of weave in and out of them. If, you'll, if you'd be willing to walk with me today a little bit, uh, we're going to weave in and out of these stories, and we're going to draw out some lessons for what is the proper and right way uh, to react to Jesus when he challenges us. 
uh, when he rebukes us, when he's trying to lead us to a better place? What is the better reaction to Jesus? So um, I want to start in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, a lot of people consider this to be uh, the parables chapter of the Bible. You'll you'll read, Jesus told a lot of stories in Matthew 13. And then in uh, verse 53, we read this. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching to people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's uh, name Mary, and aren't his brothers James and Joseph, Simon and Judas? Are all his sisters with us? And when did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is without honor, uh, is without honor uh, except in his own hometown and in his own home. Is not without honor, excuse me, except in his own hometown and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So first of all, let's consider Jesus' nuclear family. On this Mother's Day, I think it's kind of an interesting thing to think about. What do you think it would have been like to be Jesus' mother? Right? You know how he came into the world. You know how he was born. You maybe even knew that he was going to be the savior of the world. But what would it have been like to, to mother Jesus? We know the passage tells us that Mary went on, went on and had other children. They'd be considered kind of, um, because of the way Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, kind of half brothers of, of, of Jesus. But as Mary was raising her other children, was there comparison? right? Uh, uh, Jesus always keeps his room clean, right? <laughs> James, why can't you? Ke- Jesus always keeps his room clean. Or Jesus uh, gets me the best Mother's Day presents, right? Or, or Jesus is perfect, right? Uh, were, were any of those things said? And the nuclear family of Jesus is interesting to me because we know on multiple occasions that his nuclear family came to faith in him. So let me propose this to you. What would your brother have to do to demonstrate to you that he was the son of God? Right, just think about that for a minute. Those of you that have brothers, what would your brother have to, you say, well, he'd have to raise from the dead. Bingo. Right, bingo. That's exactly what your brother would have to do. And that's what Jesus did. And his family comes to faith in him. And it's an amazing thing. It's a, uh, it highlights to me the truthfulness of the claims of Christ. That his own brother, James, uh, wrote a book of the Bible, uh, cleverly titled James, right? Um, and uh, he's like, what should I call this? I'm going to call it James, right? Um, and uh, James, Jesus' uh, half-brother, went on to, to write this book of the Bible, and it, it's an amazing thing. So many in Jesus' family came to faith in him, but those outside of the nuclear family in Jesus' hometown, they remembered Jesus as a baby, Right? And think about that for a minute. They remembered seeing Mary change Jesus' diaper. They remembered maybe Mary complaining about how colicky Jesus was as a baby. They remembered Jesus taking an interest in carpentry like his father Joseph. And uh, the familiar nature with the family uh, ended up breeding contempt. And it ended up breeding offense. And so they had this reaction. We remember him as a baby. We remember his, we remember all of this stuff. We, we are, we, we don't, we're not going to put our faith into him. This is Jesus. This is his hometown. And I think the whole being offended by Jesus thing 
right? When Jesus is trying to teach us something that challenges us or something like, I'm not sure that's true or I'm not sure I believe that. I think when we're tempted to be offended by Jesus, the whole thing can be solved by, by, by one uh, demonstration in this story. And it's this, remember who he is. Right? That was the problem with this hometown is they couldn't buy into who he was. They couldn't buy into who he claimed to, to, to be. We're not going to follow him. We remember him as a child. And in the process of this, they forget who he really is. They forget who he really was. And listen, there are many beliefs about Jesus. There are the, the dominant ones in our culture is that Jesus was this really nice guy, good moral teacher, right? Wonderful person. And the problem with this is that when a nice guy offends you, you move on. When a good moral teacher offends you, you just write it off. But what the Bible says about Jesus and who Jesus claimed to be was so much more than a nice guy and so much more than a good moral teacher. Consider what was said about Jesus at his birth. All right, let me show you this text. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings! You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never, will never end. Notice it does not say, greetings Mary, you who are highly favored, you are going to give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, and he will be a super nice guy. Everybody's going to love him. He's going to be so popular. He's going to be a great moral teacher. That is not what the text says. And as a matter of fact, if you skip to the end of Jesus' life, I've shown you the beginning. Jesus walks this perfect life. He goes to the cross. He's killed. Three days later, he raises from the dead. We just celebrated Easter a few weeks ago. And I want to show you what was said after the resurrection of Jesus. So we've seen the birth, and now I want to show you kind of the, the end part here of, of Jesus' earthly ministry. And he's, he's gone back up to heaven at this point, and Peter gets up and he preaches this sermon. So this is kind of, um, uh, this, this, uh, let me show you what, what uh, Peter says. He says, therefore, let all Israel be, be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. All right, so notice again, Peter's sermon, he gets up. Jesus has been crucified, he's been resurrected, he's ascended. And Peter gets up and says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this one truth. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Super nice guy. Just super nice. No, that is not what was said about Jesus from the beginning until the end. The, the same things were said. He is the son of God. In the first century understanding of this, this is God in human flesh. God with a bod, right? He's God in human flesh. He is the Lord. He is our Messiah. He is all of these things. Let me be clear. He is not just a nice guy, although I'm sure when he walked around, he was a nice guy. He's not just a nice guy. He's God. 
right? He's not just a good moral teacher. He's in charge of all things. And when you understand who he really is, just being like offended by him uh, and, and writing him off and discounting his words really is not an option. When you understand who he really is, when you understand who he really is, it demands this wrestling match of, I gotta figure out how to comply with this teaching. I've gotta figure out how to walk in obedience with this teaching because he's not just a nice guy, he's my Lord. He's not just a good moral teacher, he's God in human flesh. He is, this is who he is, and it helps when you start to feel that, and I hope we can be honest on this Mother's Day because we've all felt this way before. When you start to feel this tension in the teachings of Jesus, it's like, oh, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna obey that, I don't wanna follow that. When you start to feel that tension, the first thing I would recommend is remember who he is, that he's God in, in human flesh. And as a side note, uh, this is true for anyone, by the way, not just true for, for Jesus, but anytime you can remember who someone is, it helps deal with offense. Right? And so when uh, there's a person online, Facebook friend, that just bothers you and offends you all the time, the politician who just bugs you, the celebrity, talked about celebrities in the video, all of that stuff, whenever you start to feel offended by someone, and this is true of Jesus, this is true of everyone, remember who they are. That that person that you are so offended by, they are loved by God. That person that you're so bothered by, Jesus died for them. That person uh, that, that, that is just driving you insane, they are an image bearer of, of God. Remember who they are. It helps fence in and it helps keep our offense in check. Now, I want to kind of give you a heads up, right? I told you three stories. We're going to look at three stories. That was my longest point, okay? So, right, the, the next, we're going to breeze past the next two, but, you know, whenever I do that, say, like, hey, I got a three-point sermon today and I talked for 15 minutes on the first one. I see it in your eyes. Like, we have reservations today, dude. It's Mother's Day, all right? Um, I get reservations, all right? So, all right, so I want to show you another story. In this story, Jesus has done a miracle where he's fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a few fish, and then uh, he starts to do this teaching um, it, and, uh, in, in John chapter 6, and it's probably one of his most controversial teachings, all right? And I want to, sh I want to show you the text. He says, uh, after the teaching, on hearing this, Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can, accept it? who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. Remember, lack of belief is one of the reactions to offense. Right? For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time on, many disciples turned back and no longer followed him. This is a hard teaching. This describes Jesus, uh, th that phrase, uh, hard teaching, describes a, th a thing in which all the moisture has gone out of it. And it's like, bang, bang, bang. It's like hard, it's hard to the touch. Nothing can penetrate it. And he says, this is how people are responding to me. They have these hard hearts and they just couldn't believe. They just couldn't take that step. It's the person who's reading through the followings, uh, the, the teachings of Jesus, and they're loving it, and they're reading their Bible, and then they come to this teaching that, oh, it's challenging. 
And the reaction is not anger. Sometimes the reaction is anger. The reaction here is not anger. The reaction here is, I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can give that money the way God wants me to give that money. I don't know if I can take that step. If I take that step of sexual purity, it's going to turn my whole life upside down. I don't know if I can forgive that person. I'm not sure I can, Jesus. I'm not sure I can fill in the blank. Here's what happens. Our perceived inability to do something. So our initial reaction, I can't do that. That's going to destroy my life. That, that's that's going to hurt me. That's going to lead me down the wrong path. I can't do that. Our perceived inability to do something leads to offense. right? So as soon as you kind of have that thought of, I don't think I can do that. As soon as you have that thought, you are, you, it, it immediately leads to defense. Well, how dare Jesus ask me to do that? What is he thinking? Does he not want what is best for me? And I want you to know, What our passage said today, God is absolutely in 100% agreement. You can't do it, right? But notice what the passage says. His spirit inside of you is going to help you and empower you. I love how Jesus said it. He says, God is going to enable you to do it. God is going to enable you to believe. God is going to enable you to take that step. God is going to enable you to be faithful. God is going to help you. You are not on your own. God is not going to leave you out on your own. He's never going to ask you to do something and then say, have fun, I'm out. I can't wait to see how this works out, right? He's never going to do that. He's enabling you. Say, so what is my job? Here's your job. Your job is to believe him. To not allow your heart to get hard. Right? Your job and my job is to believe that he's leading us to life because he is. To believe that he's leading you to joy. To believe that he's leading you to a good, a good place. Even when you have this initial reaction of, I don't think I can. That's a big ask, Jesus. I don't think I can. I don't, I don't think I'm equipped. I don't think I'm able. That's going to ruin my life. Even when you have that initial reaction, the, the battle here, the striving here is to say, no, no, I am going to believe. I am going to believe that he's leading me to life, that he's leading me to joy, hope, and peace in him. And it's also believing that, all right, Jesus, if this is what you're asking me to do, you're asking me to forgive, oh, I've held on to this for so long. I'm not sure. You're asking me to give. You're asking me to contribute. You're asking me to do whatever. I'm going to take the first step, and I am going to believe that you will enable me, and you will help me, and you will guide me, and that I won't be on my own. And if you're a mother here today, your kids always feel this tension. Your kids do. Because there's something that you want your kids to do as a mother. You can fill in the blank on this, but you know, you're trying to teach them to save money or to keep their room clean or don't say what is on your mind the minute it's on your mind, right? Filter, get a filter, right? All these things. And they have this thought of, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I want to do that. And your hope is that someday, this blessed day, someday that your children will see that you are leading them to life and that these sacred, special, incredible words will one day come out of their mouth. And here it is. I'm going to give it to you right now. Mom was right. (laughs) This is the golden thing, right? Is that someday your kids are going to get to an age and they're going to look back and, you know, save give, do all this stuff, contribute. And, and, so, and they're fighting you right now and they don't want to do it right now. And that someday they will see mom was right. 
and she was leading me to life. And there's going to be this day, like Scott said, where you will be talking to your kids and all of a sudden it will be like your mother channeled your body and took over your, took over your voice box and took over your lips and all of a sudden it is mom speaking. And this is what this passage is describing. It's to try to fight through this initial reaction of I can't, I won't, it's not gonna work. To fight through that initial reaction and to say, I believe. I believe that he's leading me to a good place. He's leading me to life. And so I am in belief, in my belief, I'm going to take a step forward uh, in that belief. All right, let me show you one more. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now that sounds like a mother to me, but anyway, right? (laughs) Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother will be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the, the, the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are uh, merely uh, human rules. And Jesus crowd, called the crowd to them and said, listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not defile him, but what comes out of his mouth is what defiles him. And then the disciples came to him and asked, hey, did you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? I'm guessing you said, I have a pretty good idea. You know when you're offending people, all right? Um, so he replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a pit. So kind of set up the story here a little bit. They are criticizing Jesus' disciples for not engaging in this kind of old hand-washing ritual, And Jesus kind of seizes the opportunity to point out some hypocrisy. And what he's describing here is that there was an Old Testament tradition of if you wanted to say, hey, I'm committing this amount of money to God and to his work, then uh, what what they taught was that you then did not have to use that money for, you shouldn't use that money for anything but God's work. And so the Pharisees had figured out this way of manipulating the system to not have to help their aging parents. And so what they would do is ahead of time, they would say, all right, I think that this is the amount of money that God's going to use in my lifetime, you know, to to help uh, and and move the, the work of God forward. And their parents would be in need. Their parents would be neglected and say, sorry, mom and dad, that money is committed to God. I can't spend it on you. And, and their parents were going without. And so Jesus seizes this opportunity to call out the hypocrisy and again, get to the heart of the issue. And here was the heart of this issue. Take care of your parents. Can somebody say amen, right? <laughs> Take care of your parents, right? And the disciples came to Jesus and said, you know, they were offended by that. And Jesus says to them, I, I, this phrasing is so interesting to me. He says, they are blind guides, They are blind to what is going on in their hearts. They are blind to what is going on in their minds. Don't be like them. And I want to tell you something as we continue plowing through this sermon series. This attribute that Jesus describes here is completely missing from our culture. Right? That this idea that when we feel offended, whether it's by Jesus or by CNN or anybody for that matter, when we're offended, 
this idea of pausing for a minute and saying, what is going on in my heart? Why am I so angry about this? Why am I so bothered by this? Why am I so offended? And I am telling you, it's missing. Jesus says, don't be so blind as to what is going on with you. We give into this easy anger. Anger comes so easily in this culture because there are so many megaphones. We've all been handed, with social media, we've all been handed a megaphone and there's so much commentary. There's so much, uh, there, there, there's so much sharing. There, there's so many opinions. Uh, we are such an opinionated culture and it's so easy to just give into easy anger. And Jesus was teaching, no, 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 don't forget. Pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on with you. Don't be like them. Don't be a blind guide. And, and, and when you feel that offense, when you feel that anger, we engage in self-evaluation. What is going on with me? Why am I so angry at Congress? Right? Why am I so angry at the president? Why am I so angry at this cultural idol? Why am I so angry at Phil? What is going on in my heart? What is going on in my mind? And maybe it's a legit thing to be angry about. I don't know. I don't know your story. I don't know. But I do know, regardless, you need to stop and pause when you feel anger and, and not be a blind guy, not give in to easy anger and just firing off at Jesus or whoever and instead pausing, engaging in self-evaluation and thinking about what's going on with us. But it all starts with Jesus leading us to life because he is. Remember who he is that he is our Lord, he is our Savior, he is our Messiah, he is our King. He's not just a good moral teacher, he is uh, in charge of all things in heaven and on earth. So remember who he is, remember where he's leading you. Remember where he's leading you, that he's leading you to life. And don't, for, and don't be a blind guide. Don't be blind to what's going on with you. So that's the Pharisees. The Pharisees were blind. They just popped off and were angry. They never paid attention to what was going on in their heart and mind. Don't be like that. Right? Pay attention. And uh, in that way, we'll find ourselves in a really good place. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And uh, Lord, I pray that we are um, learning how to manage being offended. Because uh, this isn't, our opinionated, loud culture is not going back anytime soon. It may go back at some point o over time, but it's not going back anytime soon. So we have to figure out how to manage in you, how to manage our anger, how to manage our offense, how to manage our emotions, and to be more like you. We don't want to be blind guides. We don't. We want, to, we want to be a people that pay attention to what's going on. We thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. This is an opportunity for us to remember right now. We're going to receive communion together. And it is an opportunity for us to remember how Jesus is leading us to life. And so you're going to find two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing Jesus' body. The other has some juice representing his blood. And this is a, uh, a time of remembrance of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That he accomplished to forgive us of our sins. But what he was accomplishing in that moment was giving us the ability to know and worship God. And, and giving us the ability to walk with God in this life and in the next. And so we just want to have a time of gratitude every single Sunday. 
we want to have a, a time of gratitude and thanksgiving. So we'll uh, pass the cups out right now. You can hold on to those and just engage in a time of thanksgiving with God. God, thank you for leading me to life. Help me to remember that you're leading me to life and, and just have some time of reflection. And then I'll come back up and we'll receive uh, communion uh, together as a church family.